Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, to begin our time, a question for you. Uh, and, uh, honest feedback, not honest, but I want to hear. Uh, what was your first job? Think back all the way. What was your first job? McDonald's. McDonald's, yeah. I was just. Wild waves at life go. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the type of drive-through coffee stand is the question with that one. <laughs> like, we getting some tips on the side over there, Kyle? Or what's going on here? What else? KFC. KFC. So a couple fast food. I think everybody should have a job in the food industry at some point. That's my personal opinion. Everybody's going to be eating at some point in a restaurant. You got to know what it's like to actually be on that side of it. So a prep cook. What restaurant? Okay. Is it slosh, I'm just going to do everything that they ask me to do type of guy. Awesome. So food. Okay, my first job, I was a janitor um, at Brooklake, actually. I was, it was my, my pathway to full-time ministry was starting as a janitor. Uh, we're at Darianne, so it was kind of a, a win. So, but thinking of, like, jobs, uh, this week, Darian, I mean, excuse me, Judah and I were on our way to school, and we started talking, and, you know, a 12-year-old, he's like, he starts talking about what he wants to be for some reason. He's like, I want to be a sportscaster when I grow up. And I was like, okay, like, of course you uh, want to do something with sports. But if I'm honest, there was part of me that actually was, um, dis I'll, I'll say the term disappointed. Because I, I was like, really? Like, that's it you want to be? Like, there's so much potential. There's so much goodness. There's so much like, like, oh, so amazing. And a sportscaster? And then I, I felt like a little nudge, uh, and I, I'll say it's from the Spirit. And this thought came into my brain. It was like, can I get glory through being a sportscaster, him being a sportscaster? And it was this little sense of conviction. Like, oh, there's still part of me that thinks that certain types of work is more valuable, more important, or more, quote, unquote, holy than other types of work. As if... If God calls one of my children to be a sportscaster, it's almost second to what he could be. Now, this leads to the question, what does God actually think about work? What does God actually think about jobs or work? Your nine to five, because here's the thing, if you work in a normal job, you're with your coworkers more than you're with your family. It's where you spend the majority of your time. It's where you spend the majority of your life. So what does God actually think about your and my work? So we're continuing the series on postcards from Jesus, looking at this church in Thyatira. Um, and as we start this passage, and as we look at it, this is a church that actually has the most positive things to say about any of them. He says four positive things about them. He approves them for their love, their faithfulness, their service, and their faithful endurance. And not only does Jesus say, hey, church, you're doing a good job at this. He's saying you're getting better at it. You're, there's constant approval of these four things. And yet, this is also the longest letter of all the letters that Jesus writes. It's, and it's one, to one of the most insignificant places that he writes this to. But it's about something very significant that's going on that we don't necessarily get directly from the text, but we understand that there's something happening in the city that the church is adopting. 
Thyatira was a small military outpost. It's a city that was primarily known for its numerous trade guilds. Re recent findings, excuse me, <clears throat> have unearthed inscriptions that attest to the many trade guilds. For instance, wool workers, linen workers, maker of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths. These trade guilds were the forerunners of what our trade unions are today. So this is the place that you would go to network, you would go to provide opportunities so that you could provide for your family. It would increase your reputation, your opportunity for developing wealth by going to these trade unions. However, each of these trade unions worshipped a particular god or goddess. So working in Thyatira meant that you, you would be expected to join a trade, guilder, a tra a trade guild but then as members, you would be then expected to participate in all that took place. So you'd attend these trade guilds. Think network festivals, okay? They bring you in, you get put up in a nice hotel, right? You have, the, at these events, you would then be expected to eat food sacrificed and offered to a pagan god. As you sat at the table, you would then be expected to acknowledge that the food at your table was given to you by that pagan god. And you would, do, at the end of the festival, then be expected to engage in overt and gross sexual immorality. Because in this day, uh, being connected with worshiping a specific god also meant engaging in sexual activities in the name of that god. These went hand in hand. So, to leave, so you'd be like, okay, you're a Christian in this city. And okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave, right? You go to the fun part, you eat, you enjoy that. You kind of like don't say the prayer in the beginning, but then you leave. However, if you were to do that, that they would notice that. They would recognize that. This would possibly cost you your job, your reputation, and your social, societal influence. So your livelihood is now dependent upon you being part of one of these trade guilds. You being part of, in your everyday life, one of these types of events. The question is, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, what do you do in those moments? What decisions do you make? What, how does the gospel, how does the kingdom of God influence how you go about entering into one of those places? Because notice, in this passage, he starts to after this Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is an Old Testament um, character. She married one of the kings. Let's just say, after uh, she was introduced in the story, it went really, really bad. So, whether this is an individual or a spirit of Jezebel, this teaching is now causing lots of people to go to these trade guilds and participate in the very things that they should not be doing. That's what Jesus is addressing here. It's, it's not in their normal quote-unquote life or their quote-unquote spiritual life that Jesus is talking about here. They, it is in their life. We have this secular, sacred divide sometimes, right? What Jesus wants for me affects my spiritual, sacred life. And, oh, my 9 to 5 or 8 to 4, my commute, my, if you're a mom staying at home with your kids, whatever it may be, that 
that Jesus doesn't care about that. So to understand what Jesus is saying here, we must have a biblical theology uh, <clears throat> of work. So we're going to do this together. I'm not going to be the only one talking today. When we think of a biblical theology, we're talking about understanding a specific thing from the creation all the way to the end. And we're tracing it all throughout the scriptures. And so there's four primary acts of the scriptures, okay? There's creation, then there's fall, act two, act three, there's redemption, and act four is new creation. So let's do this together. In the beginning, in the garden, where do we see work? So naming animals, right? So for those of you that don't know the story, Adam was given a specific job. Hey, you go name all the animals. And he, would, and he did that. So he had work. Where else do we see work in the garden? Yeah. So Revel uh, excuse me, Genesis 2, it actually says they're to tend and keep. They're to, they're to care for the garden. They're to care for God's physical creation. Why were they supposed to do that? Why, why did God give Adam and Eve that responsibility? Yeah, right? They are made in his image to be fruitful and multiply. And their job as image bearers is to reflect, their job is to reflect God's image through all of creation. So as more people come about, as more animals come their way, as the raw materials of society that are latent in the ground, as they foster it and they develop it and they develop cities and towns, their job is to care for the garden. Be stewards as if God were doing it through them. There's work. You also see God at work. And you also see God resting. Six days, days, eras, God worked. And then, he, and then he rested to give us a little picture of Sabbath. Okay, so work, good or bad at this point? Good. Is there, is there anything bad about work yet? We don't see anything in the story. Work is good. Like, don't miss this. Your job isn't necessarily bad. Work itself is very good. Okay, moving to the fall. What do we see work take place or work happening as a result of the fall. What was that? The curse. Unpack that for me. Yeah, so Genesis uh, 3.18 talks about thorns and thistles. Don't say it's only for the men. I'm sorry. A woman's vocation. <laughs> the woman's vocation, a part of her very vocation in, in Scripture, it actually says that her job is going to be hard too like unbearable, like pain in childbearing. So work, and what? It's called labor for a reason, right? Like, so work now, because Adam and Eve were tempted, because they believed a, a false thing about God, because they followed into that, they took that lie, they now have what? Hard work. Work that was created as good is now difficult. Thorns and thistles. You can thank our first parents, Adam and Eve, when that, when you have a bad day at work. Okay, then we go on. Um, I'm going to actually just hang out. When you think of the fall, think Genesis 3 to 11, which is right before Abraham. There's a story of the Tower of Babel. 
In the Tower of Babel, it actually says that they use their creativity. They use that ingenuity that God gave them for what purpose? Building a name for themselves. They wanted to build a tower so that they, they, they wanted to do work. They took their job. This is a perfect picture of what it looks like in the fall. They took their work, and instead of giving God glory for it, instead of giving, being image bearers of God that reflect God's image to the world, they say, no, we want to do this for us. Their creativity, their ingenuity, the capacity for work now shifted away from what it was supposed to be. So continue in a biblical theology of work. Redemption, where do we see Jesus' work? Miracles, yeah. So Jesus came about doing miracles. What else? As a carpenter, yeah. Before he started his ministry, he worked with his hands. He built stuff. Okay? Like, he was sinless in this, mind you. He, didn't have, he had no sin and he worked, right? What else? Hmm? Yeah, so he, went, he was teaching. We, uh, even the story we just talked about in Nourish, right? He, we fed the 5,000 after a long day of work. He walked over. What else? Yeah, big deal. <laughs> Don't miss that one. Like the work on the cross is a that that was work. This was his call. This was his vocation. The idea that our work would never be enough, and his work on our behalf now makes us his children. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't make our way. No amount of work could we do. And now, because of his work in his life, death, resurrection, paid the penalty so that you and I are now dearly loved children of the great I am, as it says in that passage. Right? That's good work. And that's work that's given to us. That's work on our behalf. Not that we've done, that he's done. And in, and in new creation, the last part of it, where do we see this? We see him come back and he finishes his work. He, he, he restores the physical world. We're given new bodies. We're walking again in the garden. We're not some disembodied sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Okay, that's not the picture. We're going to be in physical world. New means renewed, not altogether new. And we'll have jobs. We'll have jobs to do. We're not going to just be playing all the time, it'll go back to the garden again. So we see this picture of work in the scriptures, and Jesus is reminding the church that their work mattered. This is the background to all that's going on in this passage, that our work is not evil, it is not bad, but it's the place where the principles of his kingdom and living on mission actually work themselves out. Whether you're in the medical field, whether you're in the education field, whether you're home with children tending and keeping that garden, all of it is the opportunity for principles of the kingdom to be lived out. But here in Thyatira, they didn't do it. That's exactly what they did not do. They followed into the temptations of their day. Their temptation was to worship false idols into sexual immorality. They were tempted and they fell into that. Now the question is, what are those temptations for you? 
Some of your workplaces are getting increasingly difficult and complex. I can't begin to understand all the complexities and dilemmas that many of you have to work through on a regular basis. Whether public or private, whatever sphere, um, it's getting more difficult in the workplace, not necessarily easier to follow Jesus. Now, I haven't been in the, the normal vocational uh, workplace in a few years, and so I never had as many dilemmas as many of you are having on a regular basis. So the question is, how do you follow Jesus in your workplace in an increasingly secular society when there's temptation after temptation coming your way? Whether it's greed. I mean, this is the undercurrent of our materialistic day. Make more money. Do whatever you can to get more, have more. It's the most powerful undercurrent in our materialistic culture. How, how do you not fall into that temptation? What if the temptation is significance? Like the Tower of Babel, you're tempted to use your creativity not, <clears throat> excuse me, not to reflect God's image, but to make a name for yourself. What if you're looking to work to build your identity? You're only as good as the work that you accomplished. What makes you acceptable is how much you've accomplished recently or how little you've failed recently. And that's only a small, small piece of the temptations that you and I have to face in the workplace every day. So what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus in the workplace in our day and age? Three quick things before I send you to the table. The first one is, I, I want, and this is my encouragement, what I think the Lord desires of us, is the first thing is to be people of integrity. To be people of integrity. In essence, this is doing what Jesus said. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You say you're going to do something, we do it, right? Um, we, there's others that are trying to cheat the system, skimp along, right? Our job as the people of God is to go above and beyond. Because here's the thing, as we wait for Jesus to return, you and I may have an earthly boss, but you don't primarily work for an earthly boss, this is what Colossians 3 says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that the Lord, from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. So yes, you have a boss, but ultimately at the end of the day, your work is for the greater boss. The one who's already accepted you, already loves you, already fully redeemed you, and also gives you the strength and power to do the work that you're called to do. So when you have an opportunity, when your integrity's at stake, and maybe it's even that your boss is asking you to uh, fudge the lines a little bit. Who's the boss that's your ultimate boss? Who's the one that you're actually ultimately going to be accountable for? Second, not only people of integrity, but uh, I'll use the language people of distinction. If the world is going one way, we as God's people don't live in the ways according to the world. We live in the ways of the kingdom of God. Our motivations are different. We don't go to love ourselves. We go towards love of neighbor. We go towards working as if we're working for the Lord. 
I believe that Christians should be some of the hardest working people possible. Not, and we'll get to why in a second, but because we're working for Jesus. Because his name is on the line. Quick, simple story. I used to be a busboy for a long time. <laughs> I know. And one of the things that I had when I heard this verse initially, I was like, okay, I'm going to set every single seat as if Jesus is going to sit there. So, <clears throat> so imagine it's late in the shift and I could care less about who's going to sit there. I, don't, I didn't want to wipe down very well. It was minor work, but this showed up there for me because I, I wanted to work at, for the Lord, not for men. So, people of distinction, love for neighbor, motivations are different. And then lastly, the third thing is, I want, my desire for us is to work from, not, <clears throat> not work for. We are working from a place of grace. We aren't looking for acceptance. We, we have the love of the Father. We have the grace that we didn't earn. Remember, his work on our behalf accepts us so we can work from a place of being fully loved so that, what does that mean? We can then go and express that love to others. We are, work has already been fully done for us. What that means now for us is we can go work for other people on their behalf. So we're not looking for work to satisfy us. We don't need greed to fill us. We don't need our, our identity to come from work. We know that we've already received that from God in the cross. So therefore, we can be free to do what he asked when he wants us to do it in your workplace. Your work matters. It's not secondary. It's not, oh, let me go do the work of the church and then work. No, that is you being on mission as a member of the church. Do you live as if you're working for the greater boss, or do you work as if this isn't that important? The question of all this then is, uh, what, what good is all this, right? What good is all, if we actually do this, will come of this? And it's funny, this passage actually closes out in that. In verse 26, it says, they will have those that um, are not following in those ways, because there's only a small section of the church that was doing that, um, they will have the same authority I received from the Father, and I will also give them the morning star. What is that? Well, it's funny. Uh, scripture interprets Scripture so well. And in Revelation 22, at the end of it all, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, has sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. So what happens if you obey in this way? You get Jesus. You get Jesus walking in his ways. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is that at the end of the day, the goal of all of this is that we're with him. The, the bot that we, as we take communion, we remember his body being broken. We dip it in the wine or juice as a remembrance of his blood being shed for the forgiveness of our sin. We love to talk about the work of the gospel. And often we forget to talk about the purpose of the gospel. 
And the purpose of the gospel at the end of it all is that we get him. He is the treasure. He is the bright morning star. And so when we follow, we get a taste of that now. When we don't follow and we're required to repent, that what he's calling this and every single of the other churches to, we get an opportunity to go back towards him. And at the end of all of it, in the new creation, when there is no sin, pain, or death, when we will walk with our new bodies that will no longer decay and the work will no longer be tempting nor hard, but it will be the way that the garden meant it to be, we'll look back at the grace of Jesus and just marvel at the magnificence of what he accomplished, but more so, we'll marvel at him. We'll be with him. And he will be us. He will be our God and we will be his people is a promise throughout so much of the scriptures. And so that's why we go to communion. When we, when we think of our work, we don't think of our work. When we go to communion, we go to his work, remembering his purpose. He worked by breaking his body, suffering one of the most insufferable deaths possible. His blood was shed so that when we fall into the temptation like Adam and Eve did, we know that our sins can now be forgiven. And now this is also the empowerment so that we can work from grace because this was offered to us graciously. Nothing that we deserved, nothing that we did to earn it. We couldn't even pay the worker enough. He did it all graciously on our behalf.